I love this topic of this because in America we don't have this topic. We in America it's not there ha- was well maybe there was at some time this idea of like mentor apprenticeship, but in Europe specifically in the Czech Republic, but I've seen it in Germany and a couple other places as well. Yes, and you know Austria and yes, Poland exactly. and all these places, like it's very much still driven by the idea of who's who was your teacher and what studio are you part yes, of absolutely, absolutely. and in, in some ways i love that idea of a lineage i think it's magnificent great historical reference great you know literal lineage of like this person taught this person taught this person yeah but it seems a bit difficult to do in the 21st century no i totally agree i totally agree and by the way are we recording now or we are yeah yeah, yeah. okay so i mean i that was one of the reasons why I kind of left Czech Republic, to be honest, because I studied in Czech Republic 10 years. Yeah, I mean, like the fine art and, you know, like the art generally 10 years. 10 years? Wait. So it's a long time. Yeah, yeah, 10 years. Like That's a lot. It's a lot, exactly. It's too much. I'm still coping with this even now to kind of absorb this past, you know, that I went through. Yeah, it's a it's a big issue. Well, it is an issue because I mean, like, I know a number of people that have been in this sort of mentor apprentice relationship throughout, the, and it's really hard to find your own voice, sort of differentiate yourself because there's this immense pressure from the system. You know, not even just the mentor, but like a system that wants you to be the next version of this this previous person. But like these days, it, it, it a lot of the arts world wants you to differentiate yourself from the people so like take certain aspects of them and either their concept or their skills or techniques mm. and then r- sort of ref- revise them and make something unique to you and that's a difficult struggle of like whether or not to adhere to tradition or to find your own voice yeah i mean first of all you have to kind of realize if you want to become an artist which i was quite lucky because i knew it at the age of 10 like 100 percent that i really want to go sort of that direction and uh, at the beginning I got like a two private teachers who were kind of helping me and trained me for to get that system that you were talking and mentioning you know like to get to the high school and then to the academy of fine art to focus and in a way you know I mean what you mentioned I think this system really is good for focus you think on the other side so you can really dive into the problem and just go deeper and deeper but then you can get lost because you have no clue what is outside and you have no even clue what is outside of the Czech Republic. Even you kind of look a lot, you know, on internet, you kind of read the catalogs. And so you are kind of like aware what's going on outside. But honestly, is this really what is going on outside? I don't think so, because there is a lack of ignoration in a way, you know, that some people get away because they need to escape and they you know go to do like you know there are residences for example where you can make a connections and that's what i did uh, at the academy twice for example and that helps me a lot because i was more confident to go out to travel to go to see exhibition in paris in london even in new york and to just you know accept more because i think what i find difficult in Czech education, even I will tell some positivity as well, you know, I don't see that negative. Well, okay, let's start with the positive things now. So I think what I think is good that you can, as I mentioned earlier, you can go deeper and you can learn a craft. I know that it's not very fashionable in nowadays, especially in the art. People don't like to talk about this. 
but this is what I really learned in Czech Republic, and this is what I got from my professors, from my close friends, and I still rely on it now. And I'm very glad for that, because I studied in London for one semester and in New York as well. So I can quite compare a different education approach. And for the skills, I would always go back to Prague to study like how to draw, how to paint. But for thinking, to find the concept, why you are an artist, what do you want to say, you know, what is your language, what is your kind of message to the world? So that's, I think you should go away and to find yourself in a different territory and to question everything again, like in, outside of your home place. And that's what I did. And I really enjoyed that. But I think for the skills, it's definitely good to go. I'm not sure how it is now because I'm talking about like more than 10 years ago. That's not that long. Uh, academia doesn't change that much. That Okay. I, I lost connection, to be honest. So I'm not in touch with those people, professors. And that was quite a part of my concept to leave Czech Republic, to kind of cut off, you know, from that past, to use sort of that practice, everything, but to get away. And slowly, I'm slowly coming back. So I still do exhibitions sometimes to times in Czech Republic. It's not ignoration from my side. I was more curious, I guess. But I think we can go deeper and deeper with this question, like why I left Czech Republic. What does it mean? You know, I guess you can understand me because you left your home as well. So there are always like a personal reason and the curiosity and naivety, I would say at the beginning, you know, there must be a huge naivety to kind of leave your perfect place, I would say, you know, in the world where you have family, where you have supporters, where you have education, where you have language and the, the culture, you know, that's very important because I think, where, you know, it depends where you grow up, but if you grow up in America, I grew up in Czech Republic. So I still have a strong link to that culture, especially Czech culture. And I can't get away from that. You know, I'm realizing it even more now that how deep it is in my heart. Nevertheless, I try to get away to have a distance, but I can't because it's still there. So I have to accept it. I have to accept it and then to move on. So that's what I'm trying to do even now, you know. So Well, it's really hard because like I I've been out of the United States for about ten years now in total and, and I hated yeah. the United States when I wanted to leave. I was just oh, yeah. like, God, I'm so tired of this place. Like fuck, blah, 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 whatever reasons. And then after ten years, you know, life still Things have changed. COVID is part of it. Some deaths and some families, people yeah. aging, things like this. Like you, you sort of start, and even myself getting older, like I start sort of longing for things from my youth or childhood that basically I cannot get in living in somewhere else. I, I would say Czech Republic, but it doesn't even matter whether where I was living. It's just not where I was born kind mm. of thing. So for me, I always wonder when people choose to leave their place of birth, let's say, or their, their inherent culture, I always refer to it as like, you're either running away from something or you're running towards something. And it's the exactly. question of which is the stronger pull or yeah, push. Yeah. Like for me, I've, in hindsight, it was probably at the time I said I, I left the country because I was running towards something. But realistically, I was probably running away from something. I totally understand what you say, but I guess I'm just thinking if this really was my case as well or not. I think my case was more like a curiosity to see how the art world functioned outside of Prague, outside of Czech Republic, how, let's say, the main exhibitions influence the rest of the world, you know, and I wanted to see them. I want to be just 
you know, right there. Like if you think about nineties in in UK, in London where I am now, like the YBA, you know, and it was just such a huge influence into the world, you know. So we were like talking about it in late nineties, early two thousand. And so I wanted to kind of like to go to those places where, because a lot of people in that time, like when I was at the academy, were talking about Berlin. So that was, a, I would say, quite an easy option because it's just close by. You can take a train. You can always come back to Prague. But I felt that's a kind of like compromise. So I really wanted to go away from Europe and to have complete different picture. America was too far away for me. You know, I visited many studios there when I was in New York. I studied at the Cooper Union and. So great school, uh, absolutely amazing. Yeah, no, I, I, if I could go back, I, I actually, I would love to study there for the full time. <laughs> I think, isn't that the one that's free? If yes, like, they give you a that's, scholarship, that's right. That extremely yeah. difficult to get in. Extremely difficult, yeah. but once you're there, you you can do whatever you want. But the good thing is that you have a good professors as well. The people that they can support you. You know, you get that feeling that they are behind you. Going back to Academy of Fine Art in Prague, there is a kind of more strange competition between students, I would say. Well, students, because different departments, you see, if you study classical painting, then people might not like much that group because you are old fashioned, etc., etc. There, there were like those kind of ignoration. It's the same everywhere. I had the same thing in my grad and even in my mm. undergraduate education where students were like, oh, you're a sculptor. Well, we don't hang out with exactly, sculptors exactly, kind of exactly. thing. Like, yeah, I know. It, it always drove me nuts yeah, because absolutely. like, even in my youth, the, the one of the things that I do, think I've always done very well is float between different things. So like I have painting friends, sculpture friends, printmaking friends, like even in high school, like I had cheerleader friends, stoner friends, you know, like yeah. whatever. Like I was able to like make friends with people in different places, but yet there is a lot of this sort of separatist, segregated sort of nature in the arts, which I find a little crazy because like we're already a separate sort of subgroup of the entire culture, you know, being creative people. And then for us to then be like, oh, well, I don't hang out with those people. That just seems like, come on, that's too much. Yeah, no, I mean, I just thinking about like where we are now in the 2021 and uh, art world is and will be around forever, I guess, you know, because we are human beings and we need it. You know, when you become as a professional artist, so you kind of have to belong somewhere as well after school, you know. So that's the other chapter. Because I always think like if you survive sort of 10 years after you graduate, then you become an artist. Like, you know, you can prove it like as a professional or if you survive those 10 years, because I think that's a timing where you question a lot of things. You know, if you can make a living from it, if you can do exhibitions, if you can find the right people and et cetera, et cetera. So many issues, you know, the private life as well. So if you survive that, I think then you can kind of like say, okay, I'm on the track and I can kind of, you know, carry on till the end or whatever, if you like it. I still find even now that artists are quite divided in terms of different groups on the professional level too. So, I mean, if you organize or if you are invited to a group exhibitions, they always kind of like calculate and think about like, oh, he's, you know, better name or not, and he would not fit or not. Or more followers on Instagram. For example, nowadays, absolutely, that makes a huge role now, which is a new landscape, right? 
I, I find, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get away from that because I was very into it five years ago. I thought that was important, you know, going to the openings and to chat with the right people, etc. you know. Especially in London, you know, where you actually don't see those bubbles much because they are kind of almost invisible. But they are here, of course. But it's just more harder to find the right box where it starts and where it ends and where you could and could not belong, you know. So, and I think especially for the artist who comes here after they graduate somewhere else and they just come at the age, I don't know, 20, mid-20s, and they have no clue how this function, this the gallery system function and the museum system function. And so in that terms, I find it extremely hard compared to other countries like Prague or somewhere else because I can easily get links to the Czech galleries, even museums. I can find out from where it comes from, you know, who can, why is, you know, that project there because relationship, whatever. But in London, it's a bit bit tricky because there are so many galleries, museums. They try to be totally independent, but then you realize they are not at the end as well. So they have their own larger group. But if you don't belong to that group, then it's very tricky to crack it, you know, to kind of like to get introduced by someone else or something. So I find it at the end very selective here as well. Oh, it's just the same everywhere. It's it's all based on how large the metropolitan area is and how, how active Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is so much is. going on. But at the same mm-hmm. time, the top galleries will kind of measure it from the different side. I'm not talking about underground exhibitions or I'm not talking about the show that you can do at your house or whatever, you know, I mean, like the underground. So I'm, that's easy. But I'm talking about the level of the exhibition that can influence public, you know, can influence people like the Royal Academy of Fine Art here, you know, or National Gallery, Tate, something like that, Serpentine Gallery, Whitechapel, and this kind of level, you know, where... Shouldn't you add your gallery in that list, though? <laughs> well, no, I mean, I know those people, you know, but I talked to especially a friend of mine, Ben Tufnell, you know, who, who was like a 10 years, you know, main creator at the Tate Britain here in London. And I, I asked him, like, you know, directly why it's so difficult to, even if you have a project as an artist, to kind of get involved in those institutions. And, and he told me that even he is confused and he grew up here. So he could not tell me the structure how this art world really behave and function. Yeah, I'd have to say, like, in a major metropolitan area, like, if I have to sit down and think of, like, let's take, like, Paris, London, New York, Los Angeles, I I couldn't tell you how it works. No, no, I I mean... I could tell you there... That's what I told you at the beginning. I think it's a foggy area. Well, but it seems like there are probably, like... Let, let's just make it simple, like three streams of things happening. So like there's the whatever movement of art is popular right now, that's sort of one thing. And then there's a traditional one right. and there's something sort of in the middle, that's, let's call it avant-garde. Right. And each of them are running their own, we'll call it like races independently. Right. And, but, and, and yet from the outside, everybody thinks they're the same. <laughs> there's like the one yeah. art world but realistically there are multiple different art worlds depending on the clients the institutions the artists no I, I totally agree that's what i uh, was you know trying to say like that it has so many floors that house you know and if you want to climb up to the top it's really kind of you have to break so many glasses between you know to to kind of get through and i think every artist must be aware of it even 
if you're young or older, because if you don't want to play that game, you're out of the game. And if you want to play this game, you are in the game, because we didn't mention art fairs. They play a huge role. Even now, after lockdown, everything, they still play the major role. You know, There was a freeze just a few weeks ago, and I think even people could not travel there, but they still are here, you know, and kind of selling online, and that's the other new, I think, challenge for all of us that the art world is moving to nft you know so it's kind of like where are we going now and you become a part of it or not yeah that's a struggle that i'll tell you like i mean i'm i by the way i'm also a professor in case you didn't know that but also so like i struggle with the issue of like do we push towards the newer technologies and all that or do we hold back to the traditions of the old or is there some combination of the two and i mean there's no right answer is the problem yeah. like so you know there's certain industries let's say agriculture right so like farming so like they're like should we stay with the old or should we do go to the new yeah. technology of course they should go to the new technology it's blatantly obvious it saves money saves time yeah, saves exactly. energy you know it's much more effective all that in the arts it's not that clear because there are people who will use technologies in magnificent progressive Absolutely. innovative ways and there are simultaneously there are people that will use Absolutely. traditional techniques and ideas in innovative and new in interesting ways and so there's no right answer to like where or what should we be doing moving forward and so like this whole nft thing is you know it's just another technology advancement but it's also put it throwing a huge amount of confusion i think for the next generation on what should they be doing like i i'm, I'm a little afraid for the next generation of, of artists that like put all of their eggs in the one basket of being an NFT artist and that but that bubble might burst. Yeah, no, I mean I totally agree. As we can see, you know, we are kind of in this field for decades, let's say like functioning in the art world like digitally and you know emails, website, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and you know this kind of new communication. So I think it's getting slowly under our skin. Because it's almost everyday practice. So when I was thinking about this, like how to respond to it as an artist, and as you mentioned, I mean, you have multiple choices, but let's say, let's put it simply like two choices, like to go with that mainstream, follow it, or to go opposite. Means like that you might have a bumpy, you know, fields that people will not kind of agree much with. What do you do if you go very far away from that mainstream? So what I sort of decided like three years ago to create a project which would kind of clearly link sort of European heritage, European kind of legacy in the art that we learn at the Academy of Fine Art, that we learn from the books, you know, the old stories. And because I treasure it now, because I think, as you rightly worried about the future, that there could be the generation who could say, oh, we don't need that because we are happy with our digital world and we are creating a new culture, which they are, you know. But I just want to say, hold on, you did not come from nowhere, you know. I mean, there is a, already a track from many, many different art, history, cultures, languages, etc., etc. you know. It's a huge step behind us, you know, that we should not ignore historically so that's why i think for my way of understanding why i'm here you know why i should kind of as an artist take a part so i really go back and try to rediscover sort of those old styles and to make kind of like a bridge between the past and our current time you know so that's what i think is my sort of aim 
let's put it simply, what I want to put in the art, you know. So that's why for me it's still important to kind of like learn those techniques, to go to old museums and to kind of like bring it back on the table, but not in the old-fashioned way. So I'm not kind of just accepting what is going on in nowadays. I do. I mean, I'm, I observe a lot, and it's extremely inspirational at the same time. But but let's mix, you know, that meal with other ingredients and not just thinking there is only computer and there is only kind of, you know, the, the virtual world. I think we should really kind of mix everything together and find the balance because we should not get unconnected from the nature you know we should not get lost from as a human being or whatever yeah so today my exhibition opened at the paraffin gallery in london in mayfair i i'm showing there like 14 paintings i mean they are kind of like referencing exactly what i was mentioning earlier about sort of the past but also what it means this energy from the past when you transform it into 21st century and i meaning it like that you really try hard to use those techniques to prove it that there is a connection clear connection to that two three four hundred years old culture because i could respond in many different ways you know so i could for example as a painter paint very quickly and name it like old paintings whatever but for me it wouldn't be a, a proof that i was really in touch with that culture so for me it was quite important to spend a lot of time with the painting and researching and trying to find old stories you know which i could use for the new stories well it's like they always say like the, you know there's no brand new art everything is some sort of remix of some old stuff like just you know, there are only so many ideas in the world, but I do portfolio reviews and I also do critiques in class and things like this. And like one of the things I always think about is whenever an artist is making new work, so like I guess we would call it contemporary work at this point, that they still should have some great understanding and reference of everything that came before. So like I think art history is a very important element of being an artist because if you don't okay. know what came before you, you don't know where to go. So the idea of like standing on the shoulders of the people that came before and then figuring out some sort of, and I use the words like authentic or original or unique perspectives on whatever your life, your experiences, today's modern society is, but you're always going to be utilizing those historical things, whether they're historical techniques, historical mythologies, metaphors, allegories, whatever they are. So like having that wealth of whether it's traditional skills or traditional knowledge of art history, I think is incredibly important in order to make artwork that sort of stands up sort of stands on the shoulders of everything but a thing that's come before and and says this is the new perspective on this idea because otherwise i feel like a lot of things are are a bit repetitive yeah i couldn't agree more you know i think that makes me realize sort of this idea like a few years ago when i was thinking yeah i mean what is the whole this game about where we always try to find originality you know like a new kind of oh this is new this is we never seen here before but i yeah i mean oh my god you know what the heavy things to think like that so then i turn my energy more into the free intuitive sort of practice where I stop kind of thinking about if I could really bring something original or not because it seems like a wasting time of spending and going to studio and thinking oh my god is this blue good or not and you know like etc I mean in, in my kind of like way of thinking about art 
I decided to kind of make it extremely simple, or my relationship to history makes it very simple in a way that, for example, if I go to the British Museum and you see the Rome sculptures 2,000 years old or whatever, or marble, to looking at it in the present means for me contemporary, because I'm kind of the person who is lucky to be alive and who can make alive the object or sculpture painting or whatever that you're looking at. And I think that's the connection, and there is a clear, pure dialogue with me and art and with my knowledge, with my background that I learned from the schools, etc. So there is an amazing dialogue between you and art. Nobody can disturb it, blah, blah, blah. So I find that contemporary. And then if you go to the exhibition of a painter, sculptor, whatever, from our time, there is a dialogue as well. So it's a contemporary too. So I try to say that I'm kind of like, I know this is very strange, provocative, whatever, but or I try to look at the history from yesterday and thousands of years back as the same surface, as the same kind of material. So I don't try to judge it that this is really like 500 years, so I should really be more patient about it or aware or not, or to ignore it because it's too old. You know, so I mean, you can't escape from that. You know, you can't escape from our past. But I try to put it as a one huge package, like a universe. And it doesn't matter if it is 2,000 years old or 10 years old. For me, for me, not for you, but for me. So, so this is the way how I reread it, the history, my relationship with the history. Because when I was at the academy, at, at the school, so I was always like, oh, this is Renaissance, this is you know Baroque, this is this, this, this. You know that it started and it ended and then it was layered by other topic and you know it was, there was kind of like a movement. If you don't accept this and if you say this is timeless this is just like if we are here as a human beings it will be here anyway you know and if you think that the cave painting is far you know worse than damien Hirst diamond skull or you know whatever and you can start to think and spend days to question this but if you think that no both are interesting and both are telling us something so why should i really you know judge it that this is new and this is old do you know what i mean but but I'm talking about my world, you know. You, sure. I'm sure you know that the artist is always outside of reality, and you know, not kind of knowing what is going on much, you know, politically, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's a pure emotional feeling. What I'm saying now. That's your way of doing. It. I know a lot of artists who are Absolutely. very engaged Absolutely. with politics and other things like this, and they choose to. Absolutely, it's not my style. I'm I'm more like you. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm sort of in my own bubble. Well, I, you know, I mean, I I I, I observe politics. I, I really do, but I mean, like, question, can I really understand it if I'm not involved in it? Well, question, do you really need to understand it if you're not involved in it? <laughs> like, I mean, I grew up in Washington, D.C., so politics was, like, you yeah. know, everywhere, <laughs> everywhere in my life. So, like, I'm sort of, I, I after, what, 17, 18, let's see, tw almost 20 years living in Washington, D.C., I sort of came to the point yeah. of, like, I can just do my duty, like you know be an informed citizen mm, yeah. vote when asked for and that's about it yeah i don't see any need to utilize any more of my brain or my emotion or anything uh, because i've got better things to worry about i got you know personal issues family stuff work things what a relaxation even like i've got things i'd rather spend my time and effort on than concerning myself needlessly mm. on things that i cannot make any difference beyond having being a responsible citizen and you know voting and and just being aware yeah, of yeah, sure, the, sure. the measures and all that but that's it i took a sort of 
brain off kind of like position to it like 20 years ago. I'm like, I'm not dealing with this. It's as a single person who doesn't want to be involved in, in the poli- politics in general, uh, it's, mm. it's, I'm not going to make any difference beyond my single vote. I, I just observed it as a theater, as a kind Very of like, much so. yeah. uh, interesting, interesting material that you could use for your artwork, for your creativity, because I think those kind of stories that you read online or, or on the newspaper or, or the, you know, telly, whatever. So it's kind of like, wow, you know, how, how we can transform this into, but again, you know, I think this is what Francesco Petrarca or, you know, like not new again, right? It's it's been here, you know, since the cave you know, production, cave living, you know, like how how we are going to hunt this animal, and the politics starts to being being involved, you know, like who and well, okay, let's take it away from like real politics. Let's talk about the politics of the arts, because like I, I don't care about yeah. like, real politics. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. That I don't care. I I do care. I just don't care enough (laughs) i'm not educated enough to have a good conversation about it let's say so the but so the but in the arts there's a huge amount of these kinds of political things i mean like i've talked to people who are parts of residency programs and 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 even uh the grant there's a grant paying for this uh this podcast and so like all of these kinds of things are like a lot of politics may not it may not drive it but it certainly is not devoid of it like it's still involved in it especially when, when oh, it comes yeah, to yeah. sales exhibitions and and all this kind of stuff and it it sort of drives me nuts because i'm very much an old school person in a way that i wish that the art world was driven on merit so you make good work mm. you get sales or exhibition opportunities period but unfortunately it does that's not the truth the truth is it's no, who you no. know, who you're married to, whose works and who's, yeah. who, what collector has some of your work because that collector might be on the board of an, of a museum and so all of a sudden you get a museum show. Like There's so much shady, behind-the-curtain poli- politics that goes on in the arts that it's, it's almost a bit depressing if you realize just how much of it goes on. Yeah, no, I, I think I totally agree. And I think that's what going back to why I left Prague, you know, like I think there was a lack of naivety to kind of leave clear fields <laughs> where you know everyone and know how to kind of, to whom to talk about the other future exhibitions. So in a way, I suppose that being in Czech Republic is a bit more easier if you study at the right places. It means like that you grow with your generation and you kind of have those connections for being together to create a movement or let's say like that but i think like being in the big city there's a big lake where or, or sea you know where where i i think it's just kind of yeah you need to be quite naive i think to kind of join this group you know and then you realize on the journey that it takes much longer time than you were expecting at the beginning to kind of like collectors, galleries, studio, etc., etc., and and everything. But I wonder, like you know, there are also people who are financially independent that they kind of don't need to worry about, like you know, to sell, and they struggle too because I've got a friend of mine that she's a good artist, but she's not selling much, and she has you know finance sort of security that she struggled that she's not selling like just in that way because she wanted to be like other artists you know like oh i can make a living but she doesn't need it but i think there is always competition in that level too oh my god i 
I so wish that I had that. Are you kidding? Like, that's the dream. Like, well, no, no, no. I know. I mean, I, I was telling her, like, you know, I mean, if you have this independent, you can go, like, to other country, have maybe two studios and just to focus on the work and not worry much about. And you could make anything you want to make without any pressure from a gallerist or a, cur- a collector or a curator or anybody sort of get put, putting yeah. pressures or demands on you. That sounds magnificent. I totally agree. But there is a there is a but because these people, not all of them, not all of them, but some of them, they want to be accepted by the art world. They want to be accepted, but they don't, you know, not having that pressure of like to prove that you kind of like can do it, you know, you are good. And I think it doesn't push them or motivate them to do any better. Yeah, yeah, because they they are secured you know and i think if you are in the secured fields you just don't move much don't you because you just don't need to take a risk but i think an artist should have to take a risk every day you know like even going to studio just to take a risk not knowing like where to stamp you know where to jump or if it's fail or not but i think that's what should be everyday dialogue to artists you know with like take a risk with this and even financially, it, it, it's your choice, you know. This is a unique job that no one else could do on, on the planet. So, I mean, you are your own boss. And if you, you know, you can, this is what I like about being an artist because you kind of say free, you know, what it means freedom. But, but I think you have a certain options and possibilities to really do a lot of things if you don't fail to yourself and if you feel confident in doing them and i think if you have enough money and not thinking much kind of like well yeah i mean i think the security is a quite a bit sometimes a bit problem i have this belief that the three things that artists want the most or creative people in general so i'm not going to say just artists but like creative people we want time space and money so if we have that's the trifecta. So like if I have as a visual artist, if I have a, a substantial studio space, if I have time away from other stresses, jobs, work, you know, any sort of things like this, and I have enough money to purchase whatever materials I need to be able to express my thing without being concerned, yeah. like so those three. And and don't get me wrong, I don't want to be like rich because like if you're rich, then you're scared about losing money. Like, but I just want enough money. Yeah, yeah, I I know what you mean. I I think everyone wants that. What you mentioned is ideal, but I think just what we learned from the the pandemic that kind of like the sale was postponed. Everything has been postponed, and even the residencies, you know, everything. So people start to really question. And I'm going back to those ten years to prove if you could survive that or not. So question like, do I really need to do that? I mean, shall I have a better job online or doing something like more for money, whatever? So I think we went through this question in the last two years, everyone except whatever, you know, job. So I think, and I think if you kind of decided to carry on, so I think you become more independent in your mind, but of course you still will need money. But I believe that if you are strong and believer in your art, you should not question this and the money always come if the project needed to be done people will trust you people will support you around you and they will kind of try to help you to get through it another maybe controversial things that but i i really believe that artists should not worry much about this and just to be creative because think about giacometti when he went through the war 
So he went to the Switzerland and he ended up in such a tiny hotel, you know, like a shelter. And he created amazing stuff. Like those tiny sculptures made out of bread or something for nothing, cheap. He was, you know, true artist. So he still carried on and he found a way. So I think the artist is just copying the landscapes, how the society is moving on. So if the society is rich, the artist will use a lot of money. If the society is poor, the artist will use the cheapest materials like stone or something like that. I absolutely do. Like, if you give me, like, I've noticed this over my career. Like, I've gone from living in a small apartment to living in a huge one and then living in a house and then back to a yeah. small one. Yeah. And every time I move to, like, different spaces that I live in, my, the scale of my work changes. And as my, exactly. my income, like, so when exactly. I have a lot of money, I work bigger because yeah. I can. Exactly. You know? And when I have a little money, yeah. I work smaller because I have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's the... It's limitations. It's basically, you know, sometimes limitations end up being the driving force that really... Like, but that's that's what is my point, exactly. Sometimes when is the limit, but then you kind of have to think twice if this is good or not, instead of just like worried all the time. There's another way of looking at art where you might purely think that this is a business. I'm not in that sort of territory or I, I don't really like think, well, let's say that's not the main issue why I'm doing an art, because I believe that there is something more, you know, that you can get and give from the art. But there are those people who really believe that this is just the business. And for them, money is more issue. So then it's function, because they are driven, driven by money, not driven by art. They are using art just to make money. So, and it's just a way, like, uh, again, like the way how you, prioritize your relationship into art and i'm just saying that there are so many possibilities for young artists for us to kind of how to get engaged and if you choose this business side i'm not criticizing it but i'll criticize it it's fine i think it's a bad way to go into it but i i don't like people that get into the arts to make money because like I also don't like collectors who collect for investment purposes. Like, so, they, so I don't many. like, uh, for that matter, I don't like the Russian oligarchs that use it as like tax shelters or money laundering and all this kind of stuff. Like, so like in many ways, I really wish that money was not such a big prominent part of the arts industry. Like again, going back to like my pie in the sky kind of dream that like merit good work is good work, not good work that's valuable or good work that will increase in value for people or that is a good tax deduction in the United States or a ta or a money laundering yeah. in, in free ports. Like free ports drive me nuts, this whole yeah, thing. Yeah. I mean, all this stuff just like, oh, that's happening in UK as well, yeah. The free ports. I'm I'm actually thinking about doing like an an investigative podcast on like what are these free ports and how do they get away with this shit? Because like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I it is, it is, it is, it is. I totally or, agree. Or just make them all free, like all ports free ports. Like why Why are there certain free ports in certain places that certain people have access to? Like I order things from other countries, but I can't get them shipped to me through a free port. So why, why can other people do that? Like it just sort of drives me nuts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the other things, yeah. But it is in the art world too. I mean, there are so many expensive paintings kept geneva in switzerland yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean like that whole place that basically kept you know i know 
No one can see that. It's fascinating. That from what I understand about the laws there is basically if you're in Switzerland, you buy a piece of art and you do not exhibit it, but keep it in storage and then resell yeah. it, you pay no taxes on both sides yes. of that transaction. Correct. That's just like, I mean, I love it. I mean, if I was a financial planner, like I'd be like, get into that scheme. That's that's the good scheme. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, you're touching sort of other topic where, yeah, the money involved in art. And I think if you are a professional artist, you have to face this as well. Like, I mean, do you want to sell your work or not? Or do you want to be more depending on residencies or stealing money from somewhere else, you know, so from the other system? Grants. Grants are great. I love grants. I just wish I could get more mm. of them. <laughs> mm. Yeah, but to be honest, for me, this is a quite big issue as well. I mean, like how to function, because I do sell my work, supporters, I have people around me who kind of collect my work. So most of them, I know who are they. So I know how they are, you know, doing businesses. But I think if you look outside and see sort of kind of like a bigger players and then just watch like how, wow, you know, it's a, it's a gray zone, you know, for many people that they can kind of hide the money and or smuggle money or I don't know, but it is like that. I mean, let's face it, it is like that. Well, but uh, but to a certain extent, what that ends up doing is it in, it inflates the value of something that prob possibly was not worth that thing. But because somebody does something where they buy it in one buys a piece of art in one place and then ships it somewhere else and sells it for more money, what they're doing is money laundering. And then, but what they're doing is, is they're also sort of, to me, damaging the art world because they're inflating the value of a thing that, quite honestly probably didn't need to be on its merit didn't deserve to be elevated in that value and so now they've sort of falsely made something worth more and given it more value just so that they could make money and now that artist's career has now made it so like they have to increase their prices to match that and then maybe they can't sell because now they had to increase their prices i mean there's so many trickle down effects that in my opinion harm the artist and, and sort of their sanity, mm. their anxiety levels, their whatever, because of these other people who just don't take us into consideration. I was invited to the dinner like during the freeze and there were like five galleries and I and there was other artists, only two artists and, you know, five galleries. And I find it quite interesting that because normally I would not have a dinner with the galleries, but it was interesting to listen to them what they were talking about how you know they see us from the other side because normally we tell talk. what were they talking about <laughs> well i mean they were complaining like we do shockingly they were like oh my god you know that artist behaved like that and you know this is good this is not and you know that was quite shocking <laughs> because i thought that they were different kind of people but anyway but there was one point and i think that was quite interesting one because for example you have a young gallery and they have maybe 10 15 artists that they represent so it means like that they invest money in it, they kind of pushed. That's a good system, you know. They kind of like try to really hard to promote the artist. And I think the galleries that I've met at that dinner, they were all of them like that. Honestly, they were such nice people. And they said like, yeah, so you do it like that. And then the name grows, means like that more money could come on. But sometimes what happens that the artist jumps to the bigger gallery but what happens to the galleries, they don't get any money. Means the artist is just gone, you know. And the other galleries just, you know, take the cream. 
but the galleries who was like working hard to make the name she was comparing this like to football i don't much i don't know much about football but she said when you train you know a young footballer you always get some royalties or some kind of like a you know income instead he's just going up and up and up this doesn't exist in the art world so i think this just proves and shows you how jungle it is that everyone is doing what wants you know i mean you don't have any borders to if you want to quit it and if you don't have you know strong agreement or something like where you could not do that then you just jump you know and the gallery lose money and yeah so it's a quite unprotected area that idea of royalties i love that idea and i mean i look at it as the artist side cuz so i'm sitting here like okay so i have a piece and i sell it through a gallery and then it gets sold to a collector that collector might then turn around and sell it on the secondary market for a yeah. 100 times more the value and they get to keep all the money even though i did all the work like there i really wish there was a system and and, and so even galleries would be great so like i remember Back when I, I used to work in a gallery and we used to get what we called sister galleries. So like a gallery would be in one city and basically they would then give one of their artists to a gallery in another city. But if that other gallery sold a piece, they had to give 10% back to the what we called mother gallery, sort of like the original gallery. So like there was like a little royalty system when galleries relate to other galleries, but when they go up in level, so like when the gal the artists move up, that original gallery that put all that time, energy, and money into yeah. their career to build them up to that level loses everything. I you know, I mean I can see it in the galleries in London that for example there was an artist who was like two years ago zero and let's say now the prices jumps like nearly to 1 million. No, I'm not kidding, you know. I know those people and it's crazy and the gallery just the artists move to the higher players and the gallery just look at it like, "Oh wow, we are not going to get anything." So, you know, I mean, this is just the other perspective seeing artists, you know, like from the gallery's point of view, like that so they complain and but I think you have also like a big question like do you really want to reshape this art world i mean who is gonna to do that you know yeah but who is gonna to conduct that you know because we don't have prime minister we don't have uh presidents you know we, we don't have we that system in the art world. for god's sakes <laughs> well I, oh my god so many people would get nasty you know crazy oh it would never be able to happen because because it's such but an you know international I mean? global thing like there's no way to get organized but it would be amazing if there were but i like freedom at the same time you know i really don't want to i don't think that it's good to kind of put it in the box i know it would be easier for all of us but i think the freedom is good as well like it's a fragile topic right because then you might think the money comes from where they comes from and they kind of jump the prices because to People like to play the game with you, you know, just just to have a fun that they can push you, you know, higher, and you just watch. <laughs> you just you. I mean, the artists mostly watch. That's the irony of it as well. Because even if you have an artwork at the auction, means that you already sold the artwork, and you just look like, oh wow, you know, my painting costs in twenty twenty one this, and you just like, you get some royalties, but that's it. Well, if it's a legitimate auction house, you get royalties, but not always. Well. If it's ever reported to you. Yeah, yeah. But I think as a young artist, again, like you are naive at the beginning, of course, but sometimes you are lucky to meet the right people that they really want to help you and then they navigate you. And if you don't meet them, then you can end up in a quite big mess. 
So I think you, professor, or you know, that's extremely important to have people like you to kind of like talk to young people and to introduce them. This is how it functions now, and you have choices that if you really want to follow sort of that track. If you want to be at the freeze, if you want to be, you know, at those kind of like famous galleries, you have to really accept that this is how it is happening. And if you don't like that, then you have to get away and you should not sell your work to those people. It's quite simple, you know, so you just should, you should ignore that. So, but I think you have choices at the beginning, even the markets do whatever, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's like they're, it, it, it's well, I mean, going back to like your football analogy, even though I don't really know much about football, but there are different games being played in different locations and, and you can sort of go up in ranks to like the next higher quality of game kind of thing. And it's really hard to transition even between those because like I know a lot of artists that will or even like if going back to the gallery representation kind of thing, like so certain galleries are like, let's say, mid-level galleries and it's really hard for them to break into being blue chip like because oh yeah absolutely because there is a structure of the fairs you know you get invitation you not get invitations you and get a better spot not, in the fair kind of thing like, no no absolutely yeah, I know. that plays a major role so there is a strategy i mean like curatorial you know people create or etc you know this is what you don't learn much if you study at the royal academy of fine art in prague so you see the art world more kind of that you have to suffer. People will discover you. And if you are like living, you know, under three or whatever, then you kind of, this is the real artist. And I think this is how I was brought up, you know, like that. So when I came here to London, it was the it's opposite. Well, if you tell to the people how you're doing, if you tell like, oh, I don't sell any painting and they will be, oh my God, you must be, you know, crazy living here. And in Czech Republic, it would mean like, oh, you're doing really well because you do, you know, your stuff. You just ignore everything. And if you go opposite and say, oh, I saw my show is sold out. Wow, you are a great, great artist. And I think this is kind of a difference as well, you know, that you can. And it's a huge difference. I was a full-time professor in the United Arab Emirates when I met my wife, who's Czech. And she, when we met, so like, I'm a professor of photography and art basically you know graphic design bookmaking all kinds of different things but art and she referred to my production of my art as a hobby <laughs> and i'm just and she because i don't make money directly from sales of art yeah. and i'm like no but i make money from being a teacher of art in order to keep my teaching job i have to be making yeah, yeah, art yeah. in order to have the credibility to be a good professor and, and it, it yeah. took her maybe about five years to sort of figure out how to, to that worked it. because it's not something that is sort of understood by anybody not in the industry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think because you come from America, so I guess that you must have such a different perspective into European art as well in a way like how European artists behave compared to American artists. You know, there is such a huge gap between. Right. I'll give you my, this is my, my armchair expert kind of theory on this. In America, an artist makes a piece of art, they then put it on an exhibition, they sell it, they take the money that they got from that and they turn around and then they invest it in making more art. That's the way the American, because it's capitalism. That's what they do. In Europe, mm. it's, you come up with a really great idea and then you get it funded by a grantor or a residency or, a, or an institution or whatever. And then you produce the thing and there's no need for it to be sold because basically the production of it has already been paid for in advance. They yes. don't 
care nor is it a necessity to actually sell artwork in Europe. And don't get me wrong, I love that. And holy shit, I wish I had come to that younger because like, that's amazing. Yeah, I would have a point in this here if I can, because I think this is a very icy area here as well, because I think if you touch those grounds and like you mentioned the kind of European model where so many artists get foundation, you know, from state basically to support them to play, to carry on and not worried much about selling it or whatever, you know. So there is no any pressure and here we are again. That's what I mentioned earlier. When you don't have any pressure, you kind of get crazy or you don't care much, you know, you think that you are the unique one, etc. like that. And I think both are extreme, but I'm more involved in the American system where, you know, you depend on sale. But for me, even the art world could be corrupt, whatever, but I still think that there could be proof, you know, I mean, if someone buys your work, there is a little proof that you should carry on. That's a little signal like, oh, someone, I mean, it means like you and someone else likes that work, spend, you know, and then spend money. So it means like, yeah, you've got the green light, you can carry on. But I think when you have involved state in the art world, I think there is something going on because what does it mean when you get money from state? It means that you play the politics there or, I mean, are you kind of friends with them or do, do you need to email them every month to say like, oh, I have done this, you know, I need still more time. You know, there is a kind of like a dialogue, right? It's not just the money of nowhere. So it means that the state is trying to control artists because don't forget that they always kind of make grants closer to the trends, what is going on in society, you know. And they also give grants by committee. So like there's a certain, to a certain extent, there's a little bit of a respect, appreciation, depending on the committee. Because like if you're talking about a committee of museum directors, curators, collectors deciding who gets a grant, I'm all for those grants. But unfortunately, most of them are run by government institutions. And so it's just some bureaucrats that that have no interest or or knowledge of the arts that just go, well, the proposal is well-crafted and their budget is on point. And so like, yes, we'll do that thing. But they don't actually know the merit of it. I know you know, artists around me that they just say, oh, I have to spend one week writing, you know, like to write what they want to listen, right? Uh, and to get sort of the, the foundation and the money for the project. But I, I you know, I, I think both systems are wrong. But, you know, let's put it diplomatically, you know, I just want to question more like what really does it mean that grand system in nowadays? Because just think about Vincent van Gogh, if he would get funding in that time, would he be where he is now, like, you know, with that sort of rich art that he created under pressure? I'm not saying that everyone must be like that, but I think that's, again, he took that risk. On the other hand, though, the the, the Sistine Chapel, it was funded under patronage, and it's a magnificent piece of artwork in and of itself. So, unfortunately, there's no standard right way to do funding and support for every creative Mm. person we all need different types of support and funding some people work better under strict limitations some people work better with huge amounts of freedom some people work better with more time like even so like you know that's right whereas some people work better under deadlines so it's never one thing i mean some of the greatest artists made their 
most magical and magnificent pieces when they were broke and then went on to make really great big scale things when they had money but their most recognizable things are the things they made when they were broke so it's, it, there is no perfect model unfortunately but they're too extreme at this point i want to try and find a compromise because like in my problem is in in america it's like 90% capitalism with 10% grants and the grants are a very extreme. There's either like very small money grants and then very high money grants and there's nothing in the middle. Whereas in Europe, there's not a lot of high money grants and there's not a lot of low money grants and it's all just sort of in the middle, which they both have their merits. And I kind of just wish they'd come together and sort of create a, a good all around funding model. No, I, yeah, I mean, as you see, you know, it's extremely difficult. And I think it maybe also reflects the art world, the jungle. So it means like that you have to find your own way how to survive these sort of fields. I decided not to really be depending on the grants, let's put it clearly, because I would find it difficult to be depending on some politics behind. And also, why should I get money from state? Why? Because you pay taxes into that institution. Yeah, I do. But there are many other things as well that needs to be running. You know, I mean, art is not the big things. I disagree. It's a huge thing. My whole life's about the yes, arts. <laughs> but it is. But this is only you. Oh, I know. It should matter only to you. Why your art should be more than something else to other people. Why? Tell me why. Okay, wait, but I'll take it back a step because you're assuming when I say grant funding and residency funding and things like that, that I mean state funding. I also think that corporations should step in on this. I think that large um, collectors, people with large you know, endowments and funds and stuff, they should also be giving out grants and stuff like this. So I, I am not coming from this from the idea that I believe the state should be funding this 100%. I believe that the other parts like I don't know how it is in Europe, but it, like in America, a corporation, if they create something like an arts fund, a, an arts grant, or or a endowment, or a residency, it'll be a tax write off for them. So like it's financially to their benefit yeah. to do something like this. Plus know, the publicity that they would get for doing something like that would also benefit them. So like I don't understand why more of these kinds of corporations and stuff aren't stepping up to also become supporters of the arts. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, yeah, again, like where to stand, but we have to find a way, you know, to, to be there somehow. And I still believe more in the private sort of function instead of depending on the state. And I think that could come maybe from, I don't want to mention the communist sort of background, like, you know, politically that people were extremely, you know, crazy about that to kind of get something from the state and before 1989. Maybe that's a kind of echo in my mind why I'm trying to get away and being more independent and face to face with paying me instead of just being, you know, talking to someone who is behind the walls. From my experiences living here in the Czech Republic, I would agree with that uh, 100%. Yeah. There's a lot of the, uh, basically, a lot of people just don't want whatever was, you know, kind of things. Like you, yeah. you want change, you want something different. So, like, you, come from a histori historical perspective of communism and, and the state running things and stuff like this. I come from capitalism, so the idea of the state giving me money, I am all for that. <laughs> you want, you mm. want what you didn't grow up with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
This is it. I actually, I choose London because I think London, it's kind of like interesting place where you have everything from all around, you know, from other countries culturally. And I'm not talking about countryside, but, you know, we're talking about London because the countryside is different. But when I mentioned that it would be quite difficult for me to live in America because it's just too far away culturally, but I didn't want to be in Germany, so I thought, where else? So then I went to France, but I find it very difficult to kind of get in. So I think London is a kind of quite good compromise. If you still want to be involved with other cultures and meet other people and the language and the good exhibitions, museums. So I think it's a quite, to, to me, it's, quite, it's a quite good solution to be, you know, to have a studio here. And even it's a very tough city, but, but that's what I like because you are in the good kind of confrontational environment. Well, I mean, even these days, because like a lot of people are saying like, oh, well, you can do an entire artistic career on Instagram and wet through your websites. Mm. It's not true. Like you still have to be there. I had a friend of mine, photographer, he, he traveled back and forth from the UK to the Czech Republic. And I kept saying like, why are you going back to the UK so often? Because his family's here, his wife or his ex-wife and his child were here in, in the Czech Republic. Hmm. And he would he'd say, because I'd only get the jobs when they see me, I, I need to be um. seen. So he would have to go there, even though he worked for magazines and all these different places for, de for decades. He had to physically like go into the office, have coffee, take a meeting so that they would remember to hire him or buy something or pay, you know, whatever that face to face, even, you know, even with COVID, even with all the virtual stuff that's available, like you can't compare, like you have to, especially in the creative industries, because all of those relationships, whether it's a relationship between an artist and a curator or a gallery or a collector or an institution, as much as it is about the merit of the work. And as much mm. as it is about the sales and, and, and grants or residencies or any other kinds of things that give you credibility and all this, in the end, none of these people in the industry are going to want to work with you if you're an asshole. <laughs> so like yeah, they, yeah, they want to meet you. They want to like you. They want to yeah. enjoy working with you. And so if that relationship isn't built, at which you cannot do virtually, like it just can't happen because it's that's just the nature of it. So that you still have to be there. And London is a magnificent place to do that. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. I think even now, going, going through a quite difficult time because of Brexit consequences and, you know, like I can feel that this country is under pressure now, like to finding a new phase for the next decades or, you know, I mean, it's going to be climate change or what, what is kind of like the main topic, you know, that's going on. So it's quite actually interesting to be at the beginning of the new era because new technology will be involved as well. But I agree that if you have a meeting face-to-face -face or whatever, it's still kind of totally different. You know? <laughs> I mean, I really appreciate that we can talk like, you know, face-to-face, -face, like, you know, online, but, 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 you know, it's a chat, it's a dialogue. But I think if you want to do something deeper, you have to really engage personally and especially in the art world too, because I feel like a new energy, as you mentioned, where the NFT and, you know, like this kind of stuff is trying to stay in the digital world, you know, in the virtual world where they try to sell artwork like online. You don't need to print it. You don't need to send it. You know, you don't need actually physically to prove it. So it's kind of, 
I, I can imagine that there is this energy coming up as well, you know, and in the next five, 10 years, I think that's going to be more, you know, it will play a bigger role in the art world as well. And again, going back maybe to my exhibition. So that's why I decided as an artist to be painter in oil in the traditional medium, because I think this is what we might not see much in the next decades. You might also question environmental issue here, because, you know, I was talking to an artist and thinking like, are we going to be banned from using oil in the future? Or, But it could get there, you know, it could. It could, yeah. You know, they can say, well, not not nice for nature, come on. I know a lot of printmakers that have moved over to like vegetable inks and other kinds exactly, of things. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So I saw like some ink, which has been sort of neutral. I don't know. But yeah, I think, you know, this is also a big question. That's why I think UK is facing it already now. Like there is a COP, you know, confederation, you know, at the Edinburgh, well, Glasgow, sorry, about the climate change now. It's ending tomorrow. So many issues were in the media because of this how we can protect the planet and etc. And I think a lot of artists are involved in this as, you know, like trying to make an artwork referencing this, what is going on now. Yeah, I mean, who knows, you know, but I think for now I'm quite happy that I can still show traditional painting with a contemporary topic or something like that. But but I, I believe that we still need to show that too. Fabulous. All right. Well, thank you very much for taking the time. Well, you are very welcome. Thank you. Okay, yeah, yeah, recording yeah. again. No, I Go mean ahead. like talking about the Iceland. I've got a very good friend of mine who introduced me to other artists there. So I started to travel there more since 2014. In 2015, I decided to do a project there. So it meant like, so I did the painting in oil, 150 by 150, something like that, of the Buddha. But the Buddha was, I mean, like the sculpture of the, the bronze sculpture. So I painted the Buddha from the back. So you could not see his face, but just the backside. So like he's meditating away from you. So he's looking outside. So I painted it kind of like in the monochrome, not much in the color, like sepia and brown colors. And I decided to kind of use that painting for the outdoor installation without any protection. So it means like that I got the place in Iceland through a friend of mine that I installed the painting on the, the greenhouse, which is still sitting there for more than six, seven years now. And I want to have this sort of cracking and, you know, destroying element. I wanted to have it a part of it. And so I'm thinking maybe next year to kind of get it away from Iceland and to exhibit it as an installation somewhere in the museum or in the, in the gallery. I don't know. But I want to have the nature involved in your kind of practice as a painter so because normally as a painter you kind of like work and think this is it the last brush strokes and this is your kind of gesture and you sign it and this is this is it and no one has access to finish it right and what i was thinking well hold on maybe the nature should be the last one who could finish the painting means like touch it with the rain wind storm you know like this kind of nature elements and so it's still in iceland now sitting there and uh, it was also quite interesting to observe how it changed people around they lived nearby and they kind of spotted when i installed the painting and they felt that since the painting is there they felt more protected somehow very strange but i quite like that 
sort of small intervention somewhere where people would not expect that because it's not a museum, it's not a commercial gallery, it's just something which is for itself. Well, I love the idea of thinking about art because a lot of artists, when they finish a piece of work, they sit there and go, it's done. I've Let's say I've put it into a frame or I finished its presentation, whatever, and it's complete. And now it must stay like that for eternity. Exactly. And that's, that's what I tried with this project to break it, to kind of like thinking, okay, let it go. Well, like I'm now working with some some materials that, quite honestly, if I exhibit it in a humid location, uh, the it actually changes the look of it. The it, it sort of becomes like frosted almost. Like it actually, and then if you put it back into a dry location, it gets clean, clean, yeah. clean, and clear again. So, like literally, the the way the location that it's presented in and the environment of that location will change the experience of seeing that work. Exactly, exactly, and uh, and I, I think this is a quite interesting way of to rethink about art. I think because. We know how it is to go to museum, we know how it is to go to the gallery, but that's what you could expect, right? I mean, you, you know what to expect there. For me, certainly, it was a different dialogue with the viewer as well, because anyway, it's, it was and it's still quite a nice project for me. But also accepting the impermanence, accepting the fact that, like, even within your lifetime, this artwork will basically be yes. destroyed. Like if you had, if you leave it out there your your entire life, it will be destroyed before you. I'm pass sure it's away. it's it's nearly there now. But that's the antithesis of what all almost all artists what we all want to like vacuum seal the piece at the the day the last brush yeah. stroke or whatever is put onto it that we're like this is exactly how it should be seen, and then we do, and we don't even think about. Oh well, color's going yeah. to fade. Our varnish no, no, is going no, to yellow, anyway. or like whatever. Like, it's like, yeah, but but we don't like to think about that. We like to think that the 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 perfect rendition of it is on the day we seal it in whatever, and that. But that but they are always changing. They are always evolving. I mean, yeah, they get damaged absolutely. over time. They you know somebody cleans it poorly, whatever. Light yeah, no, damage, no. you know, smoke damages you. Know. God, there's so many environmental damages that happen to art. I mean, most of the quote unquote like art pieces we see these days are do not look like they originally the the painter or artist originally 100%, intended. Like I mean, thinking about Prague, like you know, there's a great artwork by Albrecht Durer. Just think about how it could look like when he finished it in Venice, you know. And I mean, now it's just so destroyed, so kind of like retouched, and it's far far away from that masterpiece uh, but still great of course but and still regarded as a masterpiece even though it's not the way he had intended it you're right like with this sort of accepting that things move on and only the ideas could be kind of fresh in your mind and that's why you know when i mentioned the rome sculpture when you look at it then you make it alive you know so so i think even there is no arm, you know, it's broken as well, damaged, but still you get the sense of speaks to you somehow. Um, but, you know, I, I've got a lot of ideas, like silly idea that I thought, well, you know, I should now to exhibit every my paintings outside, you know, just as a concept or as a project where the nature would be always the final one who 
make the final brush brush stroke. But I'm not there yet. But I quite like the idea of just to to kind of create something and then someone else. What what would be interesting is like even if you could produce like let's say ten pieces that are ex- almost exactly the same, and then put them in different environments like put one in Iceland, yeah. put one in the sahara desert one in a rainforest you know and and then like 25 years later bring them all back together and see what the different environments did to the exact yeah same yeah piece. i i've got this idea i not with the same piece but with the different paintings links different religions i started with the buddha and i thought iceland is a good place not because of many Buddhists there, but it's a good kind of place for meditation because it's so isolated. So if I put this painting to Nepal or somewhere to India or or even somewhere in London where, you know, it's a community, so they would worship it. But I didn't want to worship that painting. I, I wanted to kind of have a pure meditation. Maybe the best place would be in Himalayas or, you know, somewhere in the mountains, just hidden somewhere in the icy cave or something like this that would be absolutely ideal close to the river and just icy fresh air you know every day on the painting but i thought this iceland is a kind of good compromise because still not far away and i could get the good access to a friend of mine to find the fields the place where i could install the painting so basically that's what i thought yeah this is buddhism and the next project which actually happened was in south of spain in andalusia and that was linked to uh, my exhibition at the National Gallery in Prague in 2018. It was about the Barokian, you know, legacy, and I did the project there. One sort of offside project was in Andalusia. It means that I copy the El Greco's portrait of Christ, which is at the National Gallery in, in Prague, which is basically his son. So it's a quite 60, 70 by 60 centimeters, quite small painting. But I will remember this painting as a boy, you know, visiting National Gallery, and it was quite striking. And so there's a dialogue anyway. And so I decided to do a copy of that painting, install it not at the National Gallery when I was showing there next to other paintings, but installed it in south of Spain on the rock. I'm not sure if it is still there now because I saw it somehow on the Facebook like a half a year ago. Do you remember that? I think like half a year ago on the internet and mainly the the main media were writing about that someone spot the silver kind of elements in Arizona or I don't know, somewhere in America. Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, oh my God, this is like UFO, you know, like what it is and question. And it was purely art, right? Someone just put it there and then good PR. And I, I think someone was spotting that painting in south of Spain and was thinking like, oh my God, from where this come from? You know, who did it? And so I, I didn't get involved. So because I got this notice from a friend of mine that she is kind of taking care of it a bit because she's living in that area and people were questioning this, you know, via Facebook. And so she was asking, do you want to reveal your name or do you want to keep it just unknown and i said oh my god never name you know this is purely uh, the satisfaction here is like to let it go you know just to if someone steal it okay it's it's just it shows more things about him not about me do you know what i mean 
I do. Wait, do you have paintings like stashed all around the world, kind of like just randomly placed? Uh, the next project didn't happen, but that was meant to be in Israel. And I was already kind of thinking to do almost in the desert kind of a small installation with the painting, with the candles, like with the flame and without flame. So I already got the idea, but then the pandemic came and I could not go there and in a way, it's kind of postponed, but we'll see. But I, I think so. this was Christianity. The Spain was questioning the Christianity. And the other, the third project was about the Judaism, sort of kind of like questioning other religion as well. So, I, yeah, I, I was thinking I should spread out and just to give it away, you know, just this is my gift. This is just all my relationship with religions, you know, to and my all kind of religion. I don't know. Just, just so... But it will take more time. Well, I look forward to randomly running into one of those pieces. I think, you know, no one will see it there because I think they just, you know, they, they disappear because someone will take it, someone destroyed it, someone might hate it that I put it somewhere where they think that nothing should be on, you know. So it's a quite, just imagine in your area, if I put something on your window and you would have blocked view to the streets by the painting and you might say, oh my God, what is going on here, you know, and you might just strip it to take it away quickly. So just anyway. Yeah. Or we might enjoy it and it lasts decades and decades. I think that's what is happening in Iceland for sure. People really enjoy that. Thank you for listening all the way to the end of the conversation. We would appreciate it if you would share the podcast with your friends, family, coworkers, studio mates, anyone with an interest in the arts and creative endeavors. The building and strengthening of the arts and creative community is at the core of the mission for this podcast. They can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are produced by 5014. The audio was edited by Mickey at Cush Audio Services, and the music was created by Pete Bybee. As many of you all know, the arts is often supported by grants, and so we appreciate the support of an EEA grant from Iceland, Liechtenstein, and Norway in an effort to work together for a green, competitive, and inclusive Europe. We would also like to thank our partners Hunt Kastner in Prague, Czech Republic, and Kunstcentrene in Norge in Norway. Links to EEA grants and our partner organizations are available in the show notes or on our website, wisefoolpod.com. Mm-hmm.